here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. is everything evolves the world's only podcast devoted exclusively to evolve wrestling and what a time to be the world's only podcast devoted exclusively to evolve wrestling we're going to get into all that all the craziness that's been going on first i want to remind everyone that we are the wrong boys i'm aaron bentley i'm joined by aaron taub we're a proud member of the voices of wrestling podcasting network which you can find at voicesofwrestling.com or on your favorite podcast app want everybody to know you can find the Everything Evolves feed independently from the network on iTunes. Make sure to subscribe there. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at EvolvePod, or you can get the wrong boys uh, on their own. I'm at Aaron Like the Car and Aaron Talbot at AP Talbot. Okay, with all that out of the way, we have so much to get to this week. This is probably going to be the longest episode ever of Everything Evolves, so get excited. Buckle up. We have so much to cover, starting back on Wednesday, going through uh, last night, Saturday night. We're recording this on Sunday. want to get this out to you guys as quickly as possible after what happened. Aaron Taub, are you ready to break all this down? And for God's sake, please give me some ideas of where we should start. Yeah, man, I am ready to go. We have spent, I feel like I've spent the last like four days of my life just thinking about Evolve continuously. Um, and even at this point, I'm still kind of processing all the crazy shit that we've been watching happen on Twitter and uh, in, you know, it's just been wild. And so, yeah, I think we should just kind of take people through our lives and their lives and all of our lives watching this (laughs) insane drama play out on the internet over the past four days. I mean, we recorded this podcast, our last episode, our preview of this weekend's Evolve show um, Wednesday night. And we joked about how it was going to be obsolete you know, right away, because we didn't know who Davey Richards' replacement was uh, for the for the two, uh, Evolve 92 and Evolve 93, this Friday and Saturday, this past Friday and Saturday night. And uh, we, we undersold it, because within, like, three hours of us recording, of us publishing the podcast Thursday morning, um, the shit had just entirely hit the fan. Evolve not only announced Davey Richards' replacement, uh, but they also, you know, we also got news of this crazy ongoing lawsuit between Flow Slam and WWN, the company that owns Evolve. And uh, I, I imagine if you're listening to this, you are at least a little aware of what's happening. But uh, Aaron, why don't you take the people through uh, 
what's been happening? Yeah, so the first thing was on Wednesday night, uh, Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio mentioned that there was going to be some Flow Slam news coming out in the next few days, but that it wouldn't necessarily be good news. So we didn't really know where that was going at that point, because even though uh, the lawsuit didn't come out until Thursday, it was filed several days earlier. So it's actually pretty surprising that it took as long as it did for it to come out. Uh, part of that was that it was filed in state court. So it was, if you know anything about how uh, how lawsuits go down when they're filed on in federal court, they're much easier to come across. So the lawsuits filed on Thursday at 2.14 p.m. The tweet heard around the world, Pro Wrestling Torch's Sean Radican tweets, working on story, but Flow Slam is suing WWN for data, which, <laughs> what a great tweet. Led to lots of great tweets in response. Uh, and it led to some insanity on, on wrestling Twitter, where a lot of people started you know, dropping a little bit here and there that maybe they knew uh, that there was something going on with WWN having allegedly lied to Flow Slam about how many pay-per-views, iPay-per-views they were selling before they signed the contract with Flow Slam. So this kind of gets uh, funny at some point because Gabe Sapolsky, the Evolve promoter and a promoter of all the WWN uh, shows, started to have a little bit of fun with it. And he started basically trolling Flow Slam. They would talk about something about the show, and, and Gabe posted, oh, some great journalism here by the Flow Slam staff. Or Brent Brookhouse from Flow Slam tweeted that he was going to be at the show in Livonia, Michigan on Friday night, and uh, Gabe tweeted his excitement at getting to see Brent that evening. So that, that was all pretty fun. Then I guess when it really went crazy in that we started to get some more information about what was going on, was at about 530 there were two stories published within about 20 minutes of each other. We got Sean Radican's story for the torch. And then David Bixen's fan posted a story on fightful.com. All right. Uh, let's start with the, the torch story. If you haven't read it, essentially this was the first time that we knew what was in the complaint in the lawsuit that flow slam filed against WWN quote unquote, suing them for data. And what we learned in that was that Flow Sports was arguing or is arguing in the complaint that they asked WWN for some data to back up their claims on the amount of IPVs and uh, videos on demand they were selling. And WWN basically said, well, we, we don't have that info anymore. It got lost in this uh, change in servers. They tried to get them some info the best they could pull it together. And it allegedly included data other than their IPPV sales, uh, maybe also some DVD purchases. And we found out that Flowslam was seeking in excess of $1 million on claims of breach of contract and negligent misrepresentation. So, Aaron, when you first started reading this info about what was going to be in the complaint, uh, what was your first reaction to that? Well, I was stunned in some sense to the extent that it's just, it just a wild thing to happen. But, uh, I mean, look, no one who has heard the rumors of what WWN was getting paid by Flow Slam and who has an idea of the indie wrestling marketplace and 
who recognized that Flow Slam failed to get other bigger promotions like New Japan or Ring of Honor or PWG onto their service. No one who knew all those things thought that Flow Slam was going to succeed as a business, right? Like if you just, you know, one of the rumors that had been published in the past by Fightful was that it was a $3.4 million contract over five years. I've heard that they're that w other numbers have you've heard have been that WWN was getting more than a million a year. And so just I will break down those numbers a little bit later, I think. But for me, I was like, okay, this thing obviously was going to fall apart at some point because Flow Sports was always going to lose money on this deal. And at some point they were gonna get mad or sick or tired of losing money. And it was going to, I didn't think it would break down. I, I guess I didn't know it was going to happen when it did or how it did with this kind of contentious lawsuit. But my first read was like, okay, Flow Slam is losing money left and right from this deal. And right now they're filing this lawsuit to stem the bleeding, right? They're trying to say, hey, we have a claim against you. And, uh, you know, and if, and if you don't sort of, give us a little bit of our money back on this deal where we lost and really negotiated a, a deal that was bad for Flow Slam and good for WWN. You know, if you don't give us a take back uh, on our deal, we're going to go to court with you on this. Um, and so the specific allegations about WWN, um, you know, fudging the numbers was a little surprising and, and we'll get more into sort of some of the other claims that are being said that, you know, aren't in, weren't in the lawsuit specifically, but, um, but yeah, I was a little surprised by those, but also like, I don't know. It's wrestling. It's the wrestling business. We we're not necessarily always dealing with people who are, you know, it's not an industry known for people being completely transparent and honest. Um, right. And when we saw those numbers, you had to wonder, like, what kind of business was Flow Slam expecting to pay out that kind of money? So when we see this story from David Bixenspan and Fightful, he claims he has a source uh, from Flow, familiar with the numbers uh, during the negotiations, who said that WWN told Flow they were averaging about 5,000 buys per Evolve pay-per-view. And... Vixen Span said that sounded very high based on conversations with indie wrestling sources familiar with the internet pay-per-view landscape. He went on to say, this is probably the most, the biggest allegation made in the Vixen uh, Span article. He says a WWN source, Joshua Gavin, who was privy to conversations within the company during negotiations, alleged that management was openly talking about inflating the numbers with the idea that flow had no way of verifying Ooh. So we now have an on-the-record allegation that WWN purposefully inflated the number of buys they were getting so that Flow would pay them more money, which seems pretty wild at the time and made the internet kind of go crazy with everybody on Twitter talking about, well, uh, Gabe is shady, WWN is shady, and they're getting their comeuppance. And that's basically, that was the feel at the time for the moment. Right. If we're looking at this like as a slice of time, when this comes out, that's everybody's reaction. Right. OK. The most important thing in the big story, other than that fiery allegation, 
was uh, it actually included the complaint. So we got to see the complaint for the first time. If you're a non-lawyer, you probably don't care about the complaint. I was fascinated to see the complaint. Uh, did you have any interest even in seeing the complaint, AT, as a non-lawyer? I took a look at it, and one thing stood out to me that, that I'm sure you'll get to is that they didn't have the con- – I was looking for the contract attached because I, I used to be – I'm going to leave the legal analysis to you because you're actually a real lawyer, but my first job out of college basically was I was like a um, a researcher and sometimes a reporter at a new site called Law360 that was all about – corporate law. So I knew enough looking at the complaint to be like, okay, where's the contract? Because for me, that's like the most exciting thing about this lawsuit is that at some point we might actually go beyond the whisper campaigns and like see actually what WWN was getting paid and what the terms of the, of the, uh, of the contract were. And unfortunately the contract was not attached to the complaint. Um, and beyond that, I was like, I'll let Aaron B handle this. He's, he's an actual <laughs> Well, look, I'm a lawyer, but a few provisos about that. A, I'm a lawyer in Kentucky. I'm not a lawyer in Texas. And so, you know, I'm not familiar with Texas law. B, I handle prisoners' rights and police misconduct cases. I'm not exactly a a corporate transactional lawyer. But I have handled, uh, in consumer cases, breach of contract claims. So like you, Aaron, I was pretty surprised that the contract wasn't attached to the complaint. That's like the first thing you do in any breach of contract case is attach the complaint because you have to prove what they actually breached, right? So the other thing that really stood out to me was how vague the complaint is. Like if you don't know anything about this issue and you read that complaint, you still won't know anything about what happened. It doesn't talk about really anything about the relationship. It just says, hey, they lied to us and gave us fake numbers, and so we win, is basically uh, what the complaint says. So I was surprised by that, especially because I would imagine Flo has, has you know, high-powered, high-paid lawyers, which doesn't always equal skill, but it does usually, you hope you can get a complaint that makes some sense. The last thing that surprised me was that it was filed in Texas. Like, I, I don't know if Flo is a Texas company. They are. Um, yeah, they're, in, they're based in Austin. Okay, so Flo's a Texas company, but I knew that WWN wasn't in Texas and that, I mean, they've run in Dallas, but, you know, they're not generally considered as being based out of Texas. So they filed this in state court, which is interesting because since WWN isn't in Texas, they can pull this this lawsuit out of state court and send it to federal court because the two parties are in different states. So I'm interested to see if that happens going forward. But that's that's kind of beside the point. So another little interesting thing happened on Thursday that we're going to get to a little bit later, but the wrong boys came into some information and uh, passed that along. And we're going to talk about it later in the in the episode. But if you're following Twitter, you've kind of seen this uh, mention of the memo that Gabe sent out to the talent for the shows that weekend. We got that on Thursday night. And uh, we're going to talk about it later in the show. All right. Friday. It's it's the day of the show, y'all. We're in Livonia, Michigan. And, uh, man, it just starts getting more and more exciting because Mike Johnson from PWInsider.com at about 10 a.m. publishes a statement from WWN attorney Samuel Heller. And I'm just going to read this because it's fantastic. Mr. Heller says, while we prefer not to litigate cases in the media, 
it is clear that Flow Sports is attempting to use the press to create leverage in this dispute by spreading false, defamatory, and misleading statements about WWN. In reality, Flow Sports has wholly failed to honor its contractual obligation to promote WWN's events and has been unable to successfully integrate WWN into its mismanaged and failing subscription streaming platform. At no time has WWN provided incorrect, false, or misleading information, and this lawsuit is nothing more than a transparent effort by Flow Sports to avoid its responsibility to WWN, its talent, and its fans. We are confident that the litigation will result favorably to WWN. Okay. People went nuts at this statement. AT, did you go nuts when you read uh, Mr. Heller's statement? Oh, hell yeah. I was like, (laughs) this is insane. I was like, this is bananas. It's popping off. And it was really annoying because I had a lot of like actual work in my real job to do. And I just couldn't pull myself away from the computer because it's like I have ADD as it is. And then, like, to have something like this going on, it was just like, I was like, I can't look away. This is wild. He came out and said it was a failing streaming service. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it was just, um, whew. I, I will say, and I said this on Twitter, that this statement got a lot of play, but uh, you have to just not be used to dealing with the dickheads who are corporate lawyers to get really excited about this statement because it's pretty run-of-the-mill. I think I called it a, a regular Tuesday morning email is what it seems like something I would get in my work. So uh, not that weird. Uh, I mean, the failing subscription streaming platform did you know, cause some comparisons to a certain uh, president of the United States. But other than that, it, I thought it was pretty run of the mill. Now, when it got really exciting on Friday, it was really poorly timed for me. So on Friday... I went into a prison to teach a class about suing prisons to prisoners, right? So if you don't know, if you haven't been to a prison lately, you can't take a cell phone in. So I'm not checking Twitter. I'm not getting texts, anything. I get out of prison and I have a text from AT, you know, telling me that basically things have gone insane while I was gone. So I'm learning kind of all this, uh, Uh, much later. And some of that info that I'm getting later in the day is the amazing story of Gabe Sapolsky tweeting that Flow Slam is refusing to broadcast Friday night's Evolve event. Gabe says, quote, we apologize, but this is their decision. And my favorite part of Gabe's statement, please contact them for customer issues, (laughs) which is classic, (laughs) right? Uh, man, this really, I thought this was the craziest part of the story to this point, honestly, because Flo made it clear in their initial statements that this was just a negotiating ploy. That's what it seemed like to me. Like we're using this just to create some leverage, just like, uh, Heller said, and we're going to see if we can get, uh, some sort of redo on this deal based on this lawsuit. So I never thought it would get this far where Flo was actually going to pull the events. But by God, here it was. Uh, here's what I want to know, AT. Did you try to get a refund after hearing that Flo Slam was pulling all Evolve events forever? I did. I was able to get a refund. And that was wild to me because that, that was probably the most shocking thing of this whole thing was, was Flo Slam just being like, we're done. We're not going to have any Evolve events anymore. 
because I had thought like you did that this was, you know, a first, you know, this was, you know, they were pulling the knight out of the back rank, you know, in the opening move of a chess game where they're trying to sort of get a better deal. But there's no going back from this. You know, WWN is basically all they have that's really interesting to wrestling fans on Flow Slam. And them doing this was like, okay, well, we're done with the wrestling business. You know, no matter what happens in this lawsuit or whatever, we are throwing in the towel on Flow Slam and our venture into pro wrestling. And we're going to stick with amateur wrestling and cheerleading and competitive karaoke and rock climbing and all the other great content on the Flow Sports Network. Wait, do so, they have competitive karaoke on Flow Sports? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Or aca- they definitely have acapella. <laughs> they definitely have acapella contests. I should have checked um, this out while I had the annual Flow Pro. Yeah, it's a little late now, bud. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I asked for a refund, and at first it looked like Flow Slam was going to be like kind of difficult to, to get a refund out of, and then they I got a prorated refund. So I, I felt good about that because a few months ago, our hardcore Everything Evolve heads, you know, our real our real diehards will remember that we had a conversation about getting, getting the annual subscription. And I was like, well, we're going to be doing this fo- podcast. And even if something happens and WWN leaves and goes on the WWE network or whatever, whatever happens, I mean, they're going to give me my money back. They're not just going to charge me for nothing. And there was like an hour period there where I was like, oh, man, I'm a huge idiot. I've been bad with money once again. I'm gonna pay for it, but um, it would have worked out. Just yeah. tweeted, Everything evolved. Listeners are suing Aaron Taub for data. <laughs> you just tweeted that. You can check that out on Twitter. All right. Nice. So this led to a lot of a lot a lot more people dancing on WWN's grave because, well, let's be honest. WW we, we found out that WWNLive.com would be streaming the events, and let's be honest. Those streams have not always been terribly successful, uh, particularly on WrestleMania weekend, which they seem to have uh, special troubles not being able to get their streams to work. So everybody's worried. Spoiler alert, the streams worked and they were great. So it turned out not to be a big deal, although they charged 10 bucks for the shows. And if you were a Flow Slam subscriber, you could get a whole $5 off, <laughs> which I get. Like they have to put up some costs to stream the shows or whatever, but probably would have been a good little make good uh, to just stream the shows for free to full slam subscribers. Yeah, I get it. I, well, it's also different for me. Cause it's like, I'm coming at this from the perspective of like, we have this podcast. We're going to review these shows. I'm going to watch them, whatever, even if, you know, so, but yeah, it's, it seems like, uh, but also who knows what their costs were. So I, I can understand how they were kind of like, uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're totally fucked. We just got kicked off our streaming service and now we're scrambling to get up, put all this stuff together. So it's going to be $5 to the people who had flow slam. So in some sense, I get it, but, uh, but I also understand the argument that it would have been a nice sort of, uh, you know, make just good. A gesture. Yeah. Right, a nice a gesture. gesture. Uh, because, you know, we all signed up for flow slam just because of evolve, right? Uh, Anyway, yeah, and another thing too is I, I don't know if we mentioned it, but there was I'm trying to figure out when the story. I don't know. I'm having trouble. I guess I forgot to put it in a rundown, but there was some story somewhere that alleged that Evolve was not getting paid, right? Yeah, that yeah, they yeah. hadn't been paid since July, and I don't know. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, we're getting to that. So the the next big story that came out was about 5 p.m. This is still before the Livonia shows happen. 
PW Insider, gives us a little more info about what's really being alleged here. They kind of broke down this issue about whether WWN's argument, which let's be clear about this. Okay. So this story talks about this whole issue with the hosting and whether WWN had access to the data that they needed to provide to Flow Slam to show these buys, the number of buys and where they came from. And this article kind of talked about it a little more, but I want to be clear about the fact that WWN has never publicly made the argument that they lost this data to some server issue. Now, a lot of people take from the fact that PW Insider is reporting it, and there's a known prior relationship between Mike Johnson of PW Insider and Gabe Zapolsky, that perhaps someone from WWN is feeding this information to PW Insider, but we don't know that. So while everybody's, you know, having all their laughs about these server issues, let's be clear that WWN has not said that publicly to this point. Okay, so the other thing, this is the most important thing I thought that was in the PW Insider story, which this is what PW Insider has been told. We don't know who told them this, but that in 2016, WWN on average was doing in the area of 1,300 iPay-Per-View buys for Evolve, six to 700 for Shine, and less than 200 buys for FIP events. So those are the numbers that PW Insider has. I got to say, I find even some of those numbers hard to believe, but. Yeah, but they sound kind of right. Well, for instance, like the 1300 for Evolve, it makes sense if you say that this is, this was like their hot year after they started working with, you know, when you look at kind of the end of 2016, the second half of 2016, once they started working with WWE and their guys started going to the Cruiserweight Classic and you had, you know, Johnny Gargano coming off television and being on WWN shows. So I, I can, I can buy 1300 IPV pay-per-view buys. Yeah. But what about six to 700 for shine? I, you know what? I know nothing about that world, right? Like, like it sounds high on the surface, but I feel like there's a whole community of like hardcore women's wrestling fans that that's what they watch and that's what they're into. And you maybe don't know about them as much. Is that possible? Is it possible that there's like, there are people who are ordering these shows, but they're just not an hour. Oh, totally. I I think that's because I guess what I am basing my surprise on is the fact that I don't see anybody talking about shine, Right. but someone could easily argue like, yeah, that's because you only talk to men on Twitter. <laughs> right, right. Or, or a certain kind of men on Twitter, you know. And, and I don't know. I, we talk to women. We have... We do. I'm sure. You know, I don't want to push be. back on that. You know, right. it, you know, it just may be that, like, the women that we're friends with are, like, really talking a lot about shimmer and stardom, you know? Right, right, right. That's not... Because, like, when I hear about the women's wrestling, that's what I frequently see. Although I have um, to say the least believable number here is 200 for FIP. <laughs> like really move in circles of people who would possibly buy FIP. And I'd be shocked if that were a real number that 200 people buy those shows on average. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened there is that uh, they did 200 buys, but Dylan Hales bought it 180 times. <laughs> Yes, I think that's exactly what happened. You know, like the, the Southern Indies enthusiasts just got sure 
they got really trigger happy with the buy button. But yeah, no, these numbers sound a little high, but they yeah. sound plausible in a way yeah, that yeah. like, like for instance, if, if WWN told PW Insider they were doing 1,300 or told, um, told Flow Slam that they were doing 1,300 of all buys and they were actually doing like 900, you're like, okay, they're fudging the numbers. Right. You know? But if, if they told Flow Slam that like what Bix's story alleges that they were doing 5,000 iPay-per-view buys, then that's like hilariously, insanely <laughs> like... Right. Fraud, well, fraudulent. I don't know the legal definition of fraudulent. Let's, let's be careful with that. Right, right, right. Not, not maybe not the legal definition of fraudulent, but that's like an out and out lie, right. and also one that you would expect the flow people to be like, okay, we've like looked at your crowds. We're like aware of <laughs> the business we're investing millions of dollars in, and we know that you know right. you're not doing five thousand buys. So yeah, that's right. My so take. that. That was kind of the fascinating thing about the rest of this PW Insider story, which was that Flo asked for the numbers. WWN sent the numbers back. We don't know what those numbers were. And that Flo, within 24 hours, presented WWN with an offer to create content for the streaming service. And PW Insider says, quote, which they quickly agreed to because it was a great offer for the company. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, and the other, uh, what Aaron was talking about a minute ago, the other part of this article that was noteworthy was it reported, uh, repeated earlier reporting that Flow had not paid WWN for July, August, or September events. Now, there were some whispers on Twitter related to that, that WWN was late on paying talent, and they were saying that Flow was the reason they were late on paying talent. But Sean Ross Sapp, who is from Fightful.com and is a fellow Kentuckian, by the way, tweeted uh, earlier that day, that, quote, everyone I talk to has been paid on time. So there's all this, not really conflicting information, but it's like early on there were there was a lot of information that people were trying to fit into very comfortable narratives. And then more information came out that didn't fit those narratives. And now people really don't know what to do with all the information that's out there. So let's talk about these this issue in kind of, let's separate it into two different things, right? So there's two cases that are out there. One, there's this legal case that is going to be litigated in court. And then, obviously, there's the other case that has to do with ethics that's going to be tried in the court of public opinion and mostly by uh, all the judges on Twitter, right? So legally, let, let's start talking legally first. And unfortunately, I'll have to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we talked about the fact that it's really weird that there's there's no contract. I got to say, that makes me skeptical of the claims in general, especially when you add in Flo's public statement that they basically filed a complaint as part of negotiations. Uh, it almost seems like a shakedown in a lot of ways of like, oh, we're going to file this now and, and see if we can get this money back. But let's imagine for a second that WWN did provide false information about their iPay-per-view buys, which we have no evidence of. I want to be clear, but let's imagine it for a second. The complaint on its own, by its own language, makes clear that Flow can't prove it. They have no way of proving it. So what we know from the complaint is that it's pretty clear the subscriptions weren't where Flow had hoped they would be. So they got a little suspicious and they're like, hey, this isn't adding up. Can you give us some more data about these numbers? Okay. But that right there tells you they can't show you that the numbers were actually false. 
the subscriptions aren't doing as well as they'd hoped. But as Radican pointed out in his very first story, there's no one-to-one correlation between iPay-per-view buys and FlowSlam subscriptions. These are two totally different things. The person who might buy a uh, an iPay-per-view, especially because you can do it, you know, heat of the moment, just decide you want to buy it, versus keeping up a monthly subscription or buying an annual subscription. People are, I mean, this is completely anecdotal. I don't have any data to back it up, but people are more likely, I think, to buy things like click buy rather than sign up for a recurring monthly or an annual subscription. So that's the first thing that kind of makes this, that makes me skeptical of what's going on. But then let's look at it this way. Let's say not only did WWN falsify the data, but Flow finds a way to prove that the data was false. All right. Well, they've probably got some sort of breach of contract claim. Uh, A lot of people get hung up on this, the fact that, well, it looks like Flow didn't look into any of the numbers. That just has no relationship to a legal claim. Other, I mean, like on the pure legal basis, they just look stupid. But if they prove that they have a breach of contract claim, how do they possibly prove damages? How do they show the money that they lost because of WWN falsifying data? Because it was up to flow how they took those numbers and valued them. Are they going to put out their their valuations, their proprietary information on how they looked at those numbers, turned that into an offer? Look, obviously, they didn't put a lot of thought into it because it took them less than 24 hours to come up with an offer. Right. So I think it's going to be really hard for them uh, to prove all that. And then when you consider what I just said about the fact that Flow didn't apparently look into the numbers in any any real depth. Yes, that doesn't have any bearing on whether they have an actual breach of contract claim. But if they ever had to try this case to a jury, a jury would laugh them out of the courtroom for that fact. Like, are you being serious right now? You want us to give you money when you didn't do any research to look into this? insane. So even if they can prove this claim, I don't think they have uh, nearly as much damages as as they want to uh, allege. But I want to add a wrinkle here, which is that I noticed in the complaint that they asked for attorney's fees and they cited a particular Texas statute. I researched the Texas statute and apparently you can get attorney's fees for plain old breach of contract cases in Texas, which is unheard of. Uh, in Kentucky and anywhere else that I've practiced. So I guess I should explain this from a a non-lawyer perspective, which is that let's say if you win the breach of contract claim, but you can't prove that much in damages, not a big deal because you can get all the money you spent on attorney's fees, right? So there's still a lot of value for an attorney in filing this claim, even though there may not be much value to flow in litigating the claim to its end. All right. So I've talked about all that from a legal perspective. AT, is there anything you want to add? on that no that was a great um that was a great roundup i guess my one question is what happens if there's an instance where wwn lied to them but like lied to them offhand verbally right like what happens if flow slam like a flow slam person and you know sal or gabe from wwn is sitting at the table and the flow slam person's like hey um, you know, how many iPay-per-view buys were you doing on average? And the WWN people are like, uh, 5,000. You know, but, but, you know, I don't know, maybe around 5,000, probably around 5,000 a show. Um, is that fraud? Is that is that an actionable claim in court? Or does it need to be something that is 
written on paper or about a specific metric or like how, and, and also is there a difference between that claim and then saying, you know, we were doing 1300 when we were doing a thousand. Um, so can you walk me through like what verbal lying means in the court of law? Okay. So the, well, the first thing I'll say is that oral contracts are absolutely enforceable. The second thing that I want to say to that, which is a huge, uh, you know, backing down from that a little bit, which is that we've got to see the language of this contract because most contracts say there are no agreements other than what is written in this contract. There's usually a clause that says something like that, that anything that we've agreed to, we've put in writing in this contract and anything else we agree to, we'll put in writing and both of us will sign it. Both the parties will sign it. So my guess is if that's what they're going to rely on, they're probably screwed. I mean, that's usually a pretty weak claim if you have nothing in writing that can support it. Gotcha. So if it is true, which we obviously don't know, and I don't have, you know, we don't know one way or the other, but if it is true that Flow Slam inflated their numbers verbally, or sorry, WWN inflated their business verbally to Flow Slam, Flow Slam just accepted that without asking for additional information, made a dumb offer. Like it's possible that they just got worked for lack of a better word, right? But it's not legally enforceable that like, oh yeah, like you're not allowed to lie about how many iPay-per-views you were doing. I'd have to see the contract, but that would be a really tough claim to make. If somebody came into my office and said, hey, I got this, I wouldn't even ask to see the contract. (laughs) I'd be like, I'm sorry, that's that's not going to work out. And and I think we should also consider the possibility that what what WWN was doing for Flow was putting on month a number of monthly shows right so i think there's a possibility and you know this is pure speculation there's just, there's some conflation of like this is what we were doing monthly these numbers are what we were doing monthly these numbers are what we think we could do monthly if we did four or five shows a month like i think these are things we should also consider that might have been part of these negotiations that uh, that really aren't being represented to this point the other thing that i want to say is like, there's no proof that WWN gave any false info, but there's also no proof they had an incentive to do so. All we have is from that Bix piece where uh, Josh Gavin apparently told Bix that they were talking about openly, they were openly talking about inflating the numbers because Flow wasn't going to check on it, right? But that doesn't really add up with the fact that WWN apparently gave the numbers. And then 24 hours later, Flo made an offer that was quickly accepted. How would they have known Flo wasn't going to look into the numbers? If yeah. you don't know that and you give these crazy numbers and then they come back asking for proof, you're in real trouble. Right. The information in one of these stories is wrong and we don't Absolutely. know which one. Either, by, either Mike Johnson's Flo sources or um, – no, either Mike Johnson's what we think are WWN sources are lying or the Flo sources who told – because. Because Bix had two sources, right? There was one source that was anonymous. No, there's, I think, there was one, yeah, there was one anonymous flow source that said WWN gave them the the 5,000 IP interview number. And then there was a second source, which is Joshua Gavin, the former WWN employee, who said that they were deliberately lying. Right. So the flow flow source is saying that they told a lie. You know, the flow source is saying that they told something that wasn't true. And Gavin is alleging that they 
intentionally lied. Right. But, you know, uh, but if I'm WWN's lawyer, I think it would. Now, I, I have to go back on the timing of like when WWN signed up and these other. But you know, there might be an argument to be made that, look, maybe Flow Over paid because they were desperate. Because PWG said no. Ring of Honor said no. New Japan wasn't getting involved. And it's like, well, we got to get something. And so maybe they just threw a bunch of money at Gabe and WWN because they had to have something on the network. They had to have something they could hang their hat on. So that's what I would argue. You can't prove that you overpaid me because even if you you show that I inflated my numbers, you can't prove that's why you overpaid me. You overpaid me because you were desperate. And that's what I would argue in this case. And I think, look, I'm not sure this is going to go on much further. Like all of us getting excited about discovery and these contracts are going to come out and these numbers are going to come out. I wouldn't get too excited just yet. Uh, I think flow proved by the fact that they finally realized that they were going to have to give back these refunds that somewhere deep in their minds, they understand that they are going to have to undertake some coherent strategy in this, uh, this whole deal. And I think at some point they're just going to have to swallow their losses and move on with their lives. And I don't think all that, if all this comes out publicly flow sports period, will be in so much trouble as a business because they're going to have to tell the public and all their business perspective, uh, business relationships that they are so dumb that they took the word of a wrestling promoter, never checked into it and then paid him three to $5 million. No way. There's no way they're going to let all that come out publicly. Industry rule 4080. <laughs> Right. Wrestling promoters are shady. That's right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we talked about the other end of this right. whole thing? Yes. We've talked about all the legal thing. Now, let's just talk about as, you know, two woke bros doing a podcast. Like, is somebody in the wrong here, AT? Well, I don't know. To be honest, we need more information before I'm willing to assign 100% blame. But, I mean, I feel like at this point it's fair to say that both of these sides fucked up in their own way. Um, I would say, firstly, that the Flow Slam pay people are undoubtedly huge idiots for going into this business <laughs> to begin with. Yes. Right? Because this deal is rumored at $3.4 million over five years. And some people are saying that they were getting over $5 million over five years. So this means that in order to recoup the costs, just, just the cost from the WWN deal, that doesn't include, you know, their staff their, um, you know, the other deals they were making, whatever technology costs, um, you know, whatever, right? They needed to be at around, they need to be making $57,000 a month, right? Because that's the $3.4 million divided by the five years, divided by 12 months in a year. So you have 57, they need to be making $57,000 a month um, just to make up what they were going to be paying WWN. And at $20 a subscription, that means that the, they needed to have, on average, every month, at like something approaching like an equilibrium, 2,850 subscribers. And if we assume that some of the WWN superfans, like ourselves, were going to be paying $12.50 a month for the yearly package, you need even more subscribers. Um, and so... If you look at the crowds that evolve draws, like we go to WrestleMania weekend and, you know, they're not touching, you know, if they're, they're, 
they're doing what would you what would you say at a big WrestleMania weekend show? A little over a thousand. I remember people saying in Dallas they thought they were over a thousand, but I'm not sure. I don't think WWN had thousand people at any of the shows in Orlando. Right, and so, and that's like where all the people who are gathering are going to be. Um, and you look at the kind of the sparse crowds that, that Evolve does, and it's like 300 people, 400 people maybe, a good night. And it's like, and you look at the, but like, they went into a business that they knew nothing about, clearly, right? You need, because even if, even if WWN lies to them, like, and is like, hey, we're doing 10,000, we're doing 5,000 iPay-per-view buys every show. You need someone on your team who's negotiating this deal for you needs to be familiar enough with independent wrestling to be like, nah, dude, they're not doing 5,000 people per iPay-per-view. You know, like, and so, like, they just, I mean, I think that they got worked or they worked themselves and <laughs> now they're, like, trying to get out of paying everything that they promised. Look, they were clueless from the get-go because – Look at the folks that it was rumored they were talking to to hire uh, for Flow Slam. Or the, Jeremy Botter, who I don't know anything about Jeremy, but he's an MMA writer, right? And he's apparently a wrestling fan. That's great. That doesn't mean he knows anything about this world, which is like just because you watch WWE or just because you watch New Japan or Ring of Honor doesn't mean you know anything about who's doing iPay-Per-View I buys. And so I, I just think they – you take a bunch of VC bros and give them a bunch of money to run a wrestling promotion or, you know, to run a wrestling service. And they had no clue who to talk to, to try to get to the bottom of any of this. Absolutely. Um, so that's, they're incompetent and I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Uh, the WWN bit is a bit murkier. It's murkier on what they did and it's murkier on whether like you agree with the ethics of it. Right. Um, if they told Flow Slam that they were doing, you know, they proactively went out and said, yeah, we're doing 5,000 buys a show. That's bullshit. That's unethical. That's scuzzy con man garbage, right? If that turns out to be true, right, uh, you know, it's like I'm in business and you, like, don't lie to your clients like that, right? Um, so that's one thing that, like, if that's true, like, they fucked up and that's garbage. And it gives the whole industry a bad name. Um, the excuse about the servers, if they actually said that to PW Insider, like, that's bullshit, too. Because if if they, if Flow Slam asked how many iPay-Per-View buys are you doing, and you're like, oh, like, we can't, how many streams are you doing or whatever, like, I guess technically you could be factually correct in saying, oh, like our servers aren't working anymore. We can't get that information. But if you were being like transparent and honest, you would say, oh, we're going to look at our PayPal data, which they definitely have. Like they process all their transactions when you buy things from them on WWNlive.com. It all goes through PayPal. If you use PayPal before, like those records are always there and you could very easily turn those over and be like, here's how many buys we had. And, like, who doesn't keep records of that? Right. In-house. Right. If you're running a business that relies on selling things, you need to keep track of how, I mean, isn't that going to uh, give you some information for everything else you might do? How many people are buying your shows? 
Right. I find that hard to believe. You better yeah. have that or you're not, you're not running your business very well. Right. And then the other issue, though, is like WWN knew from the start that this Flow Slam thing was not going to work for Flow Slam, right? Is that fair to say that they knew their business and they knew what they were getting and they knew what Flow Slam needed to be successful and they knew they weren't going to do 2,850 subscribers a month with just them, right? I think if they if they paid them 3.4 or 5 million or whatever, yeah, WWN probably knew. I will say that when this went down, that's when Evolve was getting really hot because WWE was talking about them, tweeting about them. There was a whole Cruiserweight Classic thing that went on where Evolve was prominently mentioned. So I guess Evolve or WWN could have thought like, well, if this keeps going up, this might work out. But it had to be based only on projection, not on any business that WWN had done in the past. And they also didn't do anything with that Flow Slam money to like really improve their product, right? I mean, they gave the contracts to Matt Riddle and to Keith Lee, but the rest of that money seems to have just gone into their pockets. Which, you know, to be fair to Gabe Sapolsky, he has given a lot to this industry and never gotten rich. You know, like, he booked the Summer of Punk. He booked the ROH CZW feud. You know, he made, you know, he has helped so many people have successful wrestling careers, whether you like him or not as a person. Um, and, and there are times in this company where things were lean financially for them. Like in 2012, 2013, like shit was pretty bleak for WWN. So it's like, in some sense, there's an angle where you're like, all right, these dudes worked a bunch of venture capitalists out of their money and got paid for decades of, of work and in, in wrestling. Um, you know, whatever. So that's one argument. But then the flip side, and I'm torn between these two arguments, is that they should have like used this money to try to build a long-term, sustainable, independent wrestling company that pays its workers well, right? Because we know, I mean... They're notorious for not paying as well as other companies, you know, would would offer their wrestlers. The idea being that you're getting this great exposure. There's this connection to the WWE. So you're better off in the long run taking a discount to work for WWN. So, like, that's the other argument is that they should have reinvested this money in their business and and distributed it to uh, the labor that's, as we all know, is truly creating the profits in the end. So what do you make of that? I want to hear your thoughts. That is tough for me. I'm, I love the idea of realizing the opportunity to take a bunch of money from venture capitalists and then taking it. Like, love it. Makes my heart swell with joy. But I would have, I would more love it if that money were used to enrich labor, of course. Um, so we don't know what happened. But if WWN, you know, got one over on flow, that's cool, I think. It really doesn't bother me. But what bothers me is, we've talked about it on this show, like, they haven't made the venues look any better. They haven't... Look, he brought in Matt Riddle and Keith Lee and Zack Sabre, but a lot of the talent they rely on, 
I'm guessing are guys who take a lot less money than some of the bigger indie names uh, call for. So it's it's always been clear, and we've talked about it numerous times, that Evolve is a – they skimp on the money. I, don't, I just don't think you can argue with that. They do. And that really sucks for the wrestlers, in my opinion. And it sucks for the fans because we're two guys who really love Evolve. Like, we don't just do this just to do it. Sometimes we're down on the promotion, but we really enjoy this promotion in whole. And we genuinely care about uh, wrestlers from like a labor perspective. Uh, but we also are, are fans and we want to see a really good looking promotion in good looking venues with everything that goes into the presentation being on a really high level. We would like that and we'd like it for all the fans. And we haven't gotten that out of Evolve. Like, I don't think there's any way to uh, go against that point. We just haven't gotten it. So I think that's a bummer that if they did get one over on flow, they didn't use it in the right ways. And so uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll know better when all of it, if it all comes out about what really happened here, we'll have a better sense. But look, promoters in wrestling have always been sketchy, like forever. I'm the guy who argued on Twitter that, wrestlers double booking themselves is a hundred percent a okay because promoters are trash. And if you get a chance to get one over on promoters, do it right. Because the power imbalance is so jacked up in wrestling between labor and management. Uh, So, you know, I don't really have a problem with that, but I don't know. Move the money to labor. That's what I would have liked to have seen here. And that didn't happen. Well, the one other thing that I also want to bring up and and just kind of because we're still figuring out how we feel, I, I think both of us. But one other thing to think about, too, is it's easy because we saw a lot of people who, um, you know, Adam Lash, who runs Powerbomb TV, which is a competitor to Flow Slam, and other people who are affiliated with that site were saying, you know, WWN didn't use this money to, you know, invest in their talent, invest in their promotion, et cetera, et cetera. But if you take the perspective that WWN went into this deal knowing that Flow Slam was doomed from the start and being uncertain of whether they would actually receive the money they were promised and knowing in their hearts that ultimately their true destiny is some kind of partnership with WWE. Um, you could see why they would be reluctant to spend all the money they were getting, assuming that, you know, when they were uncertain that they would be getting the rest of their money throughout the duration of the contract. So that's like the other sort of, I mean, they are chiseling in all ways, you know, and have been, you know, and, and like, like you said, like that's documented and fair, but you can also make the case that they were, especially even with this money coming in, they had to be conservative because they assumed that the deal was going to fall apart to begin with, you know, and you can make your own moral judgments about whether it's right to go into a business partnership with another company, knowing that those guys are going to, you know, they're going to sink. Yeah, I, I think all that's fair. Uh, I guess the important thing now is, like, where are we going? Where right. is Evolve going? Where is WWN going? We talked about – now, we said some on Twitter that our last episode became obsolete, but I do want to make a defense of the first 20 minutes of the show when we talked about the branding of Evolve and how it seemed to be a brand built around getting wrestlers ready to go to WWE. and. I think this all bears that out. Like, I think everything that's happened 
depending on how it plays out, could be, you know, in support of that idea. And all that was was buttressed by this memo that came out. Uh, of course, by now, as I mentioned earlier, it's been published on Fightful.com uh, in a story by David Bixenspan. Uh, we got this on Thursday night from uh, someone who did not work the show. I want to be clear about that. We did not get it from any talent who appeared on the show, but it did come to us. And uh, unfortunately, we don't you know, just record random episodes. So uh, we held it off and uh, Bix posted it you know, right before we were about to record this episode. Yeah, so, he beat us. He beat us too. I want to be clear. It's not like we gave it to Bix. He beat us to it. Uh, no. You know? And we spent like, we got it like Thursday night and we spent so much time like going to, going to Gabe Zapolsky and asking him to confirm and then asking other, trying to find other people who would double and triple source it. And we were all like, we were excited about our big scoop and anxious about you know, how the company would respond and da, 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 da. And, you know, we like uh, just spend like a lot of time being anxious about this. And, uh, and then it just like big speed us like an hour before we went to record. So <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. It was pretty funny. We did our best for you guys. We were did. trying to mm-hmm. deliver the primo content for our, for our fantastic <laughs> listeners. And, uh, we, we blew it. I guess in the, in retrospect, like from now on, we got to just like, put it up on the Voices of Wrestling website and talk about it later, I guess. Yeah, probably um, should have. Or have done a special episode. Yeah, but uh, kudos to the Fightful folks. Yeah, Aaron mentioned this. He kind of glossed over it. I want to make it very clear. We did not give this memo to Bix. So somebody, either he got it from where we got it or he got it from somebody else. Yeah, I, th- I would I would venture to guess that he got it from so This thing was going around. Right. Yeah, we did. We did hear it's, that. It's kind of like, like I talked to other people who were like, "Oh, my friend got it from their friend, a, a completely different person from who you heard it from." So, like, uh, this thing was going around. This was probably a something, you know, all the rage in dark Twitter or whatever. So, um, <laughs> yes. so yeah. As Aaron mentioned, we did reach out to Gabe Sapolsky to confirm the validity of the email. He did not directly confirm it, but he expressed displeasure with the fact that we had it. So we kind of took an implication from that, that, uh, that it was ballot or that it was, uh, real. And, uh, <laughs> now that it's come out elsewhere, it appears that it was real. So, uh, we just wanted to make sure we weren't running with something that didn't actually go out to the talent. But what this was presented as, if you haven't seen it yet, was that it was a memo that Gabe sent to the talent, an email that Gabe sent out to the talent, just to give them some general thoughts for the weekend about things he wanted them to think about for their matches, and interestingly, things that he wanted them to not do in the matches. I thought that was a really fascinating part of the memo. Um, A lot of people are focusing on different things from the memo, but for our purposes, I thought the most interesting thing was about a Gabe mentions that they're going to be going through a transition. So it's important to note that the email went out on Thursday night. This was before the lawsuit was open knowledge. Uh, but it was after, well, we don't know if Gabe had knowledge of the lawsuit yet because we don't know. No, if it was served. Right. Or this went out like Thursday afternoon. Right. right? So this yeah. would have gone out like right as the story was coming out. Okay. Okay. Right? That, or or maybe, I I am 
I mean, I have to imagine that they knew about it right before these stories. They knew, oh, they found out about it. Someone had it, that they found out about the lawsuit um, last week when they were producing Shine. So they that's knew, right, that's they right. knew about the lawsuit, but I think they, this was sent after they knew about the lawsuit, but before the lawsuit was, uh, before like all the details of the lawsuit were public. Right. Yeah. So we can, we're not going to go through the whole thing because you've probably read it by now, but uh, we'll just give you a few ideas about kind of what's in here. If you haven't checked it out yet, Gabe just talking about how they're about to enter a transition period. He wants everybody to prepare for that. And he wants to use the weekend to prepare for that. So interestingly, it talks about that a big part of this transition is going to be how they work in the ring. He wants to change some things about that. So the first big note on here was about lockups that I guess he talked to William Regal and Regal said nobody at Bola knew how to lock up. So he wanted some strong lockups on this show. He didn't want anybody looking in the floor camera. And he said, uh, quote, I really don't care if you look into the camera or not, but this is a habit you will have to break as soon as you go to WWE slash NXT. So you might as well break it now. I thought that was fascinating because it, it implies that everybody in Evolve is going to end up in uh, NXT or WWE, which I think is, well, it's hard to believe if you view the future as what it's been, that Evolve will exist and they will continue to be a pretty good pipeline for NXT. It's easier to believe if you think that the future is Evolve on the WWE Network and that Evolve becomes part of the WWE family. So I'm not sure how to which way we should read this paragraph. Yeah, I don't think that it's necessarily implying that everyone in the promotion is going to be in WWE NXT. I think it's more like aspirational. Like sure. We want all of our guys to make it to WWE slash NXT. And, you know, since we're training you guys all right and you guys are going to work hard, like when you get there, you know, you'll have to do this. So I, I even, but I do think that that's fascinating because even if we're saying that they're not like everyone's going to go, we're still saying that like, and which we've known from their marketing and Gabe's interviews and all this is that like getting guys to WWE is a, one of this company's major goals. Right. We're going to change something about how we do things here so that it's more like what they do in WWE. That's that's a big deal, I think. All right. Uh, the next point on here is about, you know, making strikes count. Uh, no big deal there. Talking about, you know, if a bigger guy's striking you, then you want to sell it differently than a smaller person striking you, which I find very offensive, just to be clear, as a five, six man. Uh talking about not doing cool stuff for the sake of doing cool stuff. Have it make sense in your match. This was my favorite part. Challenge yourself to break your normal routine of spots. I don't care what match rating you get on Twitter. This is also very offensive to me. I view it as a personal attack from Gabe Sapolsky on to uh, at Aaron like the car where I give out great match ratings. I'm an accurate star raider on Twitter. So it's, it's kind of annoying, but whatever. Uh, Another part that I really enjoyed was that Gabe says he's been traveling a lot with Chris Dickinson and they've talked about this and that Chris Dickinson can explain these things better from a worker's perspective since Gabe's not a worker. So he wants people to go to Chris with questions, which I think is a good idea because Chris is a great worker. Um, That's me, not Gabe. Uh, And then (laughs) I guess the, uh, the last thing that's interesting here is Gabe says, please remember the evolve rules. When it comes to, and there's a list of things, I will read the list. 
No swearing. Nothing derogatory towards minorities, women, ethnicities, or any other groups. No pile drivers, neck bumps, apron spots, anything that drops you on your head. Nothing hardcore without permission. No unprotected headbutts. No mic work without permission. Be super nice to kids. So that's a list of, of rules that apparently he says to remember as if they've always existed and evolved. So I found that fascinating since I thought there were lots of pile drivers, neck bumps and apron spots in evolve. So I was surprised to see that. What did you think about this list of, of rules, AT? Yeah, well, they were contradicted on these shows. And there was one other thing that we should talk about, which is um, at the end of this email, he says, I will send out booking info late night. This weekend is going to be mostly about wrestling. We aren't going to go into big storyline stuff or angles during this transition period. I want everyone to concentrate on their matches. Think of the fundamentals, making everything solid and make sense. So it's fascinating because it's like, this promotion that's talked about in this memo from Thursday afternoon is not the same promotion that we saw this past weekend. And that's what I think is so fascinating. Because you look at this um, memo and it looks for all the world like a promotion that is right about to become a full-fledged WWE developmental brand, right? The stuff about you no know, pile drivers, neck bombs, apron spots. This is all like sort of standard, like WWE, like don't do this stuff. And the stuff about we're going to like, we aren't going to go big into storylines or angles during this transition period is almost like we're like freezing things right now. And then something else is going to happen, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean they're doing whatever with WWE, but like given all of the context clues that that would be your first guess from reading it. Um, but the evolve that we saw on Friday and Saturday, and yes, we are going to talk about the wrestling eventually <laughs> shortly after this. And they put on two great shows um was a completely different promotion there were tons of head drops there were tons of apron spots there was a pile driver on the apron you know <laughs> like and there were several big angles so it's like so what i'm trying to figure out for me is what happened you know between this memo and the shows happening and and i don't i don't know maybe it's you know we really don't know what's going on at the end of the day. But, you know, it's like maybe um, all the stuff with Flow Slam was happening and the promotion's name was being dragged through the mud and, you know, Evolve Management said, you know what, fuck it. We'll figure out the transition next month. Go out there tonight and give these people a show and do whatever you need to do to do it. Um, or, you know, the transition to whatever was coming next um, is on hold because I think one big thing about this flow slam lawsuit is how it affects WWN's relationship with WWE, right? Like we know that WWE still decided to send Cedric Alexander to evolve this weekend, but we don't really know whether this will change things, right? Cause I mean, you're a lawyer. You can, you'll probably understand even if this lawsuit is frivolous, um, does that affect the WWE's desire to continue working more closely with Evolve when there's this potential liability of a lawsuit hanging over their head? And also, I mean, and probably, you know, Flow Slam probably knew that when they were filing the lawsuit, right? And that's probably part of their game plan too, is that this sort of, that's how they're exerting their power 
over WWN is attacking this relationship by sort of putting on this lawsuit. Uh, so, yeah, what are your thoughts about all that? Well, I don't know. If you're doing business with wrestling promoters, like if I'm looking at it from WWE's perspective, like wrestling promoters, they know what, what that's like. And so I don't think this is really going to have any effect on that relationship. I could see them kind of putting it on hold for a little while of like, all right, let's let this kind of go out, get over with before uh, we really brand this with some brand that's even heavier with the WWE name. I could see them doing something like that because they're very concerned about PR in that way. But I don't think this is like going to kill Gabe Sapolsky with WWE. I think Evolve will continue to work with WWE. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, in the next six months, Evolve is on the WWE Network. That wouldn't shock me. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but it wouldn't shock me if it happened. We've been hearing that for ages now, that they were going to end up on the WWE Network. So uh, there may be a pause, but I don't think it's going to be permanent. Sure. So, yeah, what 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 would you guess is why? Why did the promotion we saw Friday and Saturday look so much different from the promotion in this memo? It's obviously because Gabe knew we had the memo and wanted to uh, troll the wrong boys. Right. The whole promotion is like a long game of chess between this <laughs> podcast and the ball of marriage. I think that's very clear at this yeah. point. Um, uh, I don't know. Like on the first night I was thinking, because they still did some of this stuff, but I thought, well, they're kind of conceal or uh, keeping it to some of the matches higher on the card. So maybe they just didn't want guys lower on the card doing some of this stuff. But then on the second night, like the freelance match was built solely around doing cool stuff. DJ Z kind of spent the weekend just doing cool stuff and whoever he worked with, right? The opening match. Well, I guess you had the first match with uh, Fred Yehi and the seminar guy, but the, the first real match with theory, I keep saying that with Anthony Henry and Kincaid, Featured an apron bump. So, you know, you can't do it on the first match if you're saying most of the people aren't going to be able to do it and you're trying to keep it special for the main event. So I think it was more that, well, there's, there's two options. I don't like the first option, which is that Gabe has lost the locker room and they're going to go out there and do what they want to do. I don't think that's likely. But if you if you believe that, they're not getting paid and people are leaking this memo just everywhere. Then maybe they don't care what Gabe says. I find that hard to believe, but I, I just wanted to put that out there as a possibility. The more likely possibility to me is that Gabe gave some sort of Paul Heyman-esque rallying the troops speech about how it was everybody against the evolved locker room. And by God, we're going to go out there and put on the best damn show that we can. That's what I think happened threw caution to the wind, and put on two great shows. All right. Let's talk about them. Thanks for... Hold on. Hold on. Oh, I have to oh, say oh, something. More. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You, you made a real face when I made the possibility about the locker room just being out there on their own. You don't buy into that. I I doubt it, but I was more just like, oh, man, that's a hot take. <laughs> I was more, it wasn't so much that I was like, oh, he's definitely full of shit. <laughs> Is a possibility. That's not my but take. Also, I was just like, putting that out but there. I'm like it? cringing that, like thinking about, like, oh man, when the management, you know, when this gets back to management, they're gonna they, they're gonna be coming for us, you know. But uh, <laughs> but we have to be. Well, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. don't think that's what happened. I just, if you're thinking about all the possibilities, that's the only other possibility. Yeah. So, okay. For God's sake, let's talk about wrestling. Yeah. All right. It was good, good as hell. The wrestling. Dude. Yeah. Let's start with just like major thoughts. These were, it had to be the two best shows since we've been doing this podcast. I liked, um, I still have fondness for the New York show in June that had um, Matt Riddle versus Keith Lee and uh, Jocka versus Zack Sabre Jr. I think that show is still my favorite show since we've been doing this. I was at that one, so I'm biased, I guess. And, and I also, I just love that Jocka Zack Sabre Jr. match. I think that's maybe still my favorite of all match of the year. I, I just love the shit out of that match. So, yeah, but the night before they had that really weird show. Yeah, but this was the best full weekend, I would say. Right. Yeah. It's just like pretty much every match was really good. So uh, I loved that. There was nothing that, well, we're going to talk more about the matches in general, but overall, I was just like, at some point, I realized we're all we're going to get is great matches this weekend. And, like I said, because I think it was some sort of like rallying the troops that Gabe did for these guys and got everybody fired up. Go put on a show. And uh, that's what they did. So let's start with Evolve 92, Friday night, September 22nd in Livonia, Michigan. We started off with a non-title match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Jason Kincaid. Sabre won with a submission. We have gone back and forth about what that submission is called. I, isn't it like the new one where it has like that really long name? That I can't oh, remember. was it like hurrah another year? Forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surely this will be better. Whatever. Yeah. Um, was it that move? I don't think so. It was like a double armbar. I feel like <laughs> it was like kind of similar to the move that he beat um, Will Osprey with back at um, like two WrestleMania weekends ago, where like the head is kind of trapped and then he's like pulling the arms back. I don't know. We should have done that research before we got him. It's been, <laughs> folks, it's been a long week for your it boys. Is. And, uh, anyway, you know, Zach Saber won our best. Can hold. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you think about this match? I thought it was a fun match. It was great. It was funny too, because it's like, oh yeah, like this, Zach came out. He cut his little promo about how he doesn't give a toss about the head, you know, the headlines. He's not going anywhere. We love wrestling. He's like, oh yeah, wrestling. That's cool. You know, it is a fun little match. I thought. Zach really stretched uh, Kincaid out, and um, they had a couple a couple cute spots. I liked when um, Kincaid did his sort of like somersault into the um, you know Namaste uh, you know yoga chair pose or whatever, and then Zach just penalty kicked him. I enjoyed that. It was a fun it was a fun little match, and it was good to get back to wrestling. It was, and I was wondering how they were going to you know, mention this on the shows, like what was going on? Cause you can't just ignore it. Like you got to say something. I joked on Twitter that the show should just start with, with Gabe shooting on the whole situation. Uh, but instead they, they gave uh, our sweet socialist boy ZSJ the mic to just make a quick little point about it, which I thought was, it made sense. I, I like this match. I thought it was one of the better Jason Kincaid matches that we've had in a while. Still had some sloppiness, but yeah. I'll just, well, we're going to talk about the other Kincaid match, of course, but this was a much improved weekend for him. I was very happy for him. I thought he was really good on these shows, and this was kind of a good start to get that going. So the next match was Austin Theory versus Stephen Wolf. Wolf was a, a seminar guy who had been at the, the tryout camp earlier that day and got a chance on the main show, which was cool. 
And, dude, I love this match. Theory won it with the Theory KO. It was a really quick match. But it was, like, perfect for what they were trying to do. Had that great little hope spot right toward the end, but then Theory crushes him immediately with the Theory KO and gets the victory. Uh, I just thought it ruled. And especially because it's like Fury struggled to begin, but then he started to get going, and it's like he gets better every match. I thought this was a great continuation of that progression for him. Absolutely. Yeah, I was having a little trouble with my microphone there for a moment, but uh, we, we fixed it. It was good. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was great. No one noticed. Um, yeah, no, the match was awesome. I thought I thought Theory looked like a killer. I lo- Yeah, I loved the finish. He just looked like as smooth as he was where he just pulled him by the back and hit, hit that Theory KO. I thought that Stephen Wolf looked great in this. I thought he was bumping all over the place. There was, you know, one, you know, clothesline theory to through that wolf took like did like a full backflip bump on it he just he looked really good so so kudos to him and uh yeah this was a great little match and and austin theory just gets better every time we see him and uh we didn't see it at first but uh they've they've really they've got something with him it was really cool for wolf to show that when you get a chance like this you don't have to do every cool move that you know how to do you can you, ha- you show exactly what the promoter needs from you, which is he sold his ass off. He made Theory look like a million bucks. I I mean, Gabe hasn't told me this, but I guarantee that Gabe loved this guy's performance and will book him in the future based on how well he sold for Theory. I know I would. All right, next match, Tracy Williams with Stokely Hathaway uh, versus Darby Allen, And Tracy got the win. He gouged Darby's eyes uh, to get out of the Last Supper Gibson Lock style move and then hit that big lariat of his to get the victory. I know you're a big Tracy fan. Did you love this? It didn't do it for me. And it's weird because oh, I prefer Tracy and you don't like him so much. And I and you love this match. But I just, I it felt, and I watched it back a second time and Tracy Williams was very aggressive. Um, the finish was cool. I like and I like um, they're making Catchpoint a more um, explicitly heel unit in that they're cheating more in their matches. And so I like the finish and I like that it protects Darby Allen kind of on his climb, right? It's a setback for him, but he has an out. Um, and so I thought that was good, but the match just felt kind of plodding while I was watching it. I, I just, I don't know what it was. I just couldn't get into it. I really wish you were as good at watching wrestling as I am. Because, I know, I know, I know. Because this was a great match. Um, <laughs> here's what I loved about it. It's like Tracy gets in there, and he's not expecting Darby to grapple with him, to be able to to roll with him on the mat. And when he does, it was like it, it just pissed Tracy off. Like, I can't believe you would even deign to try to wrestle with me in this way, uh, you little son of a bitch. Like, that's what I. That's kind of what his emotions were were putting off to me. And so then he went straight vicious on Darby, which is things that I've said on this podcast about what I'd like to see Tracy do, which is, you know, when, when Tim Thatcher started doing the more brutal stuff toward the end of his run in Evolve, like that's what I want Tracy to be. And that's what he was this whole weekend, but definitely in this match. And I thought at the end, yeah, they protected Darby with the way the finish went over. But it made me think if this is what, Evolve is doing, I think it's really smart. You talked on the last show about how it really sucked that 
Darby isn't going to be able to overcome Thatcher as like his main boss in this part of his progression. But they did a reset here where Tracy can be that character for him. And he couldn't get him here. But if he keeps progressing, maybe he eventually gets that clean win over Tracy that catapults him to the next level. Okay, the the next match, uh, Fred Yehi defeated the day de- not the debuting. We said that on the last show. The re-debuting DJ returning. Okay. Yeah, returning. <laughs> that would be better. Than <laughs> Probably the more obvious, uh, more <laughs> the straightest distance, but you know between yes. two points. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Koji Clutch uh, puts down DJ Z after. Uh, what I thought was a great match. Is this another match that you didn't like as much as I did? No, I thought this was really good. They just uh, they just went at it. And um, I love, there was one thing that I really loved, which is they kind of like built sort of like the second half of the match, it felt like around DJ Z going for his summer, this move where he does like a somersault and then like propels himself up and does like a tornado DDT kind of thing. I learned recently that it's called the ZDT. Um, and he tried to do that twice. And the first, the first two times, like, Yehi just fucked up his whole world. Like, he tried it once, and Yehi just did this big, like, shotgun drop kick. And then the second time, Yehi turned it into a, a snap German. And then the third time, he finally hit it, but he only got a two count. And so I just, I loved, I like that story a lot. Um, and, yeah, DJZ looked great. He just looks like a star. His entrance makes him look like a star. Um, he has a great, yeah. So I, I thought that this was a really, really good match. Yeah, it was great. Um, this was the part in the show where I realized what was going on. I like my notes that I wrote were this show has so much stiff offense and I love it. And that's when I realized that's what we were getting this whole weekend, that they were going to be a little stiffer, a little more brutal and just kind of knock it out in the ring. I, I realized that as this was going on, I liked that. They had this ongoing story of DJZ kind of kept getting over on uh, or was trying to get over on Yehi. Yehi couldn't quite get there with him, but then he caught him in that Koji clutch, which is like classic Yehi, right? As you've talked about before on the show. And I just thought both guys were great. I kind of viewed DJZ before the this weekend as a solid worker, really good, but not great. And he showed this weekend that he does – I didn't watch a lot of TNA when he was doing that, uh, but I've seen him in other places. But he showed uh, this weekend that he really does have the ability to be great. He put on two really good matches. So I don't know that he's going to be back, but I'd, I'd be cool if he was. Yeah, it's, it's looking like we won't see him again for a while. Because usually, usually if you're planning to continue using a guy, you don't beat him the first two matches. <laughs> yeah, I think somebody who has – Worked Evolve before told us that you can basically tell who's sticking around by who wins and who loses. <laughs> right. And that guy doesn't work Evolve anymore. So right. There you go. So that tells you. Uh, so after this match, I mean, this show is building up such great momentum. I mean, it was it was awesome. Then this guy comes out who apparently is named Jared120. You're talking, AT, but your mic is muted. It's Jarek. J-A-R-E-K-120. Do I make it a bit on the show where I call him Jared? Oh, you've kind of added yourself now. <laughs> yeah, giving away the game. <laughs> no, but go ahead. We can, we can still do it. So Jared120 comes out, and he says he's supposed to give Yehi a $500 match bonus. And then he does, I think, a magic trick 
where he turns the $500 into the $100 bills into dollar bills. And he says, yeah, his work is only worth $5. This was stupid and it sucked, but it did lead to, was it Aaron Quinn who said on Twitter, we're like Adam Cole, am I right? Yeah, no, I think that that was Trina. I think Trina oh. made that, bit, that joke, I believe. Okay. Well, there were a lot of good jokes about that he was like a knockoff Chris Hero or Adam Cole, which I enjoyed. That was stupid, but luckily the next match was Matt Riddle and Keith Lee, the Limitless Bros versus Doom Patrol, Chris Dickinson and Jaka. Just as I hoped, Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol gets the win over the guys who are normally singles wrestlers. Story here was that Riddle and Lee kept having communication issues, so they would knock into each other. And that eventually led to uh, Doom Patrol getting the win. Did you like the way that the story built through the match? I mean, it was pretty logical, right? Oh, yeah. I love this. I thought this was awesome. It was stiff. It was hot. Um, they did the tag formula, which is all like I love when two heels beat up a baby face, yep. you know, and they get their tags. And, and, and also we saw a little bit more of like Jaka you know, running over to the apron to knock off Keith Lee and, you know, kicking dudes from the outside. So more more of seeing Catchpoint as sort of cheaters now, you know, as opposed to people who were just nasty. Now they're sort of going above and beyond to, you know, bend the rules in their favor. Um, and, yeah, I thought this was great. I thought it was fast. It was hard-hitting, and and they had a great match. And, um and they develop and they develop the stories. A big win, you know. Uh, Dickinson pins Riddle, so if they ever want to do that as a singles match for the WWN title, they can do it. And and it built the story of the miscommunications of you know first um, first Riddle, you know, hit Lee, and then afterwards Lee accidentally hit Riddle, and so kind of we that was the wrong boys were right there when we talked kind of about the miss. You know, there might be some you know issues between those two guys and uh yeah i thought this was perfect this was, I, I just was like this was just what this needed to be and it was great and uh yeah what did you think of it i loved it uh i expected it to be the match of the weekend i don't think it played out that way but it was still really good and i was i mean just so happy that that dickinson and jaga got the win i'm with you i love the idea of doing they can stretch this Riddle Lee out thing a little more and do Dickinson versus Riddle next time around. They've shown the willingness to put these guys in in tag matches, but maybe it was just for this little story, but that'd be cool. Uh, any other way that they want to do this. And you talked about Catchpoint doing more like traditionally heelish tactics. I don't usually like that, like that heels have to cheat, but I think it could work in this promotion because they don't do that. So if they have them cheat a little, I could really see that. I think it could work with these fans to really get them over as heels. I mean, they already are kind of natural heels in this part of the country, but uh, the fans really were getting on them on, on these shows. So I liked that. Yeah. After, yeah. That was cool. It was. I love that. Like natural heel heat. It rules. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> right. So after the match, uh, Keith Lee did try to make peace with Riddle. He got on a knee. You know, extend nice, a nice callback. A little bit right. of a nuanced storytelling here. You know, they try, they try. So he extends a fist to Riddle, like, "Look, I know we had some issues in this match, but we're cool, right?" And Riddle, like, 
I thought he kind of overreacted. Like, he definitely overreacted to this whole thing. He could have just kind of been like, no, I'm out of here. He could have fist bumped him, which is what he should have done. But he, like, shoved the fist away and then pushed Keith Lee. Like, I mean, he just looked like a real dick here. I was, I was a little surprised at how hot he, he was in reaction to this. Throw another, uh, throw another page in the Everything Evolves. The very skimpy Everything <laughs> Evolves was right folder. Uh, yeah, that riddle's a dick. His character's he's, he's, a dick. We hate him. Yeah, he sucks. He sucks. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was like Keith Lee displayed tremendous grace, um, yes. you know, giving him the pound after losing a hard-fought title match to Riddle. Um, twice he's lost hard-fought title matches to Riddle, and he's had um, tremendous, um, you know, like, compassion to be like, even though this, like, you know, hyper puppy wants his affection. He still gives a, he gives a, you know, when he's not in the mood for it, he still gives him a fist bump. And here Lee asks for just a, a little bit of understanding and Riddle pushes him away. Dick move. Super dick move. Uh, I didn't say this. I also wanted to say that I thought Jaka and Dickinson were, were the best performers in the match, which I didn't expect. Come, well, I shouldn't say I didn't expect it because they're a better tag team, obviously. But I just want to give them props for definitely being the best workers in this match yeah shout out for to Jaka for countering matt riddle's upkick by biting him on the foot yeah yep. <laughs> that rules it totally ruled so we move on to the evolved tag team championship match which was the main event of this card uh the champions james drake and anthony henry the work horsemen taking on the troll boys ethan page and ach i'm not sure whether to put this in the wrong boys were right or wrong boys folder because we kind of went both ways on this on the last episode. But if you didn't watch the shows this weekend, I know we have some listeners who don't actually watch evolve. I have some really bad news for you. The troll boys became the evolved tag team champions on this night. Moment of silence. How did you feel about the troll boys becoming champions AT? I wasn't as devastated as I otherwise would have been. Cause like the first half of this match was like all the dumb troll boy shit I hate. Like they're making references to their cartoons and whatever. And it's like, okay, great. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like transformers or I, I didn't really get the reference. Cause like I was like a spectator sports nerd and not a, cause I'm not a nerd. nerd. No, no. It was just like a different kind <laughs> of, nerd, right. If they were like, they were like, a reference to like Horace Grant or something, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, like I totally get that from when I was a kid." But like Transformers, just like or whatever, Dragon Ball, I, it's just like not my scene. So like wow. they did all these like these like dumb jokes, and you're just like, "All right, this is stupid. I, I hate this." But then like halfway through the match, they like picked up and had a match, and that was cool. I like the spot you were. ACH had both guys on his shoulder. Like, ACH is such a great athlete that when he starts, like, wrestling for real, you're like, oh, this guy's super talented. Um, and, you know, once this broke down and, and started, like, moving towards a conclusion, it was a really fun match. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed it. But then when they won, I was like, Ugh. It was, like, kind of a funny callback to um, the uh, – the way that the work horsemen won the title, right? Where it was like, they, um, they did a big move off the top and then the guy kicked out and then they hit the sort of, um, 
the standing finisher, like immediately afterwards, right, with ACH hitting the 450 on Drake, Drake kicking out, then ACH hit the buster call uh, for the win. Um, so that was like a nice little touch. And the match was like, I enjoyed the match um, all in all, but I was obviously, uh, you know, pretty bummed that the Troll Boys won the title. And uh, disappointed just in all the Evolve fans who were happy with it. Look, like uh, just yeah, you know, we expect we expect better from our friends and our listeners. You know, friends don't let friends root for the Troll Boys. We've definitely taught you better. Yeah, from Evolve's listeners. Yeah, uh, I hated this match. Like I hear what you're saying, but if the first half of your match sucks, I'm gone. Like it's over. You've lost me. I'm like reading Twitter about other things like I'm just gone when the first half sucks. So, you know, at some point I'm like, Oh yeah, it looks like this is okay. But if you can't get me to invest, you know, and they're whatever, they're doing their own thing, but it didn't personally work for AJB. So I was out at that point. There was a dark match afterward, uh, Cedric Alexander versus Zach Sabre Jr. Of course we didn't see it, but according to live reports started out with about 15 minutes of mat work. And then Dickinson and Jaka interfered in the match, which was then declared a no contest. Apparently Stokely got on the mic and he was uh, shouted down from being able to say much. Uh, but they turned it into Dickinson and Jaka versus Cedric and Zack Sabre Jr., which sounds awesome and like something I would love to see. Uh, and then Zach eventually tapped Jaka out uh, for the victory. So sounds cool. Unfortunately, didn't see it. And I doubt this will ever see the light of day. Yeah, it's kind of funny how um, like the live experience was must have been so different from the experience we had watching on WWNlive.com. You almost said Flow Slam, didn't I, you? I came very close to saying it, and I had to stop <laughs> myself. Um, you know, it just kind of like, you know, if you were live at these shows, you had two Cedric Alexander matches on top of all this great stuff. Yeah, and yeah. that was like your main event, and to us, it like just didn't exist. Um, so I don't really know if there's anything profound in that observation, but... Uh, it's just super That's weird, awesome. in like right. in this era of wrestling, because it's like everything's on tape, right? Stuff that just isn't on tape, right? I well, it like, is on tape yeah. somewhere, but but we don't have it. Like, well, you know, if Cedric, if they were going to do anything with Cedric in WWE, then years from now, the WWE Network Cedric Alexander collection would include right. this match. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. So here's hoping they do, and that it yeah. does. Knock on wood. He's great. Yeah. No, he's wonderful. All right, evolve ninety three. Saturday night, September 23rd, in Summit, Illinois. Started out with a dark match on this show. Fred Yehi versus Cedric Alexander, which, again, sounds like something I would love to see. I mean, I think we have seen it in the past, but I would have loved to have seen this iteration of it. Uh, Cedric wins with the lumbar check after he powered out of the Koji Clutch. That's what I understand happened. Uh, I don't know. Sounds cool. Fred Yehi stuck around in the ring for when they went live on the air, and there was what I can only assume was another seminar guy in the ring who I read online, his name's Cyrus Satin. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've read. Uh, They did not say his name on the broadcast. And in fact, one of the announcers said, we don't know who he is, (laughs) which I thought was kind of rude, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) And uh, it was a quick little match, but I love how it ended because Yehi did his like uh, double foot stomp or bicycle kick thing. Uh, until the ref just called the match, which you don't see very much in wrestling. So I really like that. Yeah. Okay. Was yeah, I, mean, I was like, I was like, the match was like ten seconds. I really you know, <laughs> we can go to the next one. Okay. Jason Kincaid versus Anthony Henry. 
Kincaid wins with the compassionate release. Uh, dude, I love this match. I had it. I know you're not a star rating guy. I had this at four stars. That's how good I thought it wow. was. I thought it was great. By far, Kincaid's best match in Evolve. I don't think that's up for debate. Henry's best uh, solo performance, uh, for sure. And my favorite match involving him, period. You know, solo or tag. I love how frustrated Anthony Henry was throughout this match. I mean, he sold that so well, and it just worked perfectly. These two guys had – they looked – it's weird because I usually think Kincaid is not very smooth. This match was so smooth. Everything they did worked. It was timed out just right. I just thought it was great. The only thing that pulled it back for me is – is that what Compassionate Release normally looks like? I feel like something went wrong when I he put on that. I think so. Movie. I didn't notice anything weird about it. If there was nothing weird about it, then it's like a really strange move because I'm not really sure what the second arm adds to the move. Uh, although Kincaid could say, well, let me put it on you and you'll figure out what the second arm adds. But uh, I thought maybe something went wrong there. I wasn't that impressed with, with that at the end. But otherwise, thought this was great. Loved it. I don't think you loved it as much as I did. I thought it was fun. I don't think I like – I like had very few thoughts about it. I was like, oh, this is like a fun match and um, a good little win for Jason Kincaid, you know, to uh, sort of continue his uh, upward climb, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun match. I, I didn't, this is wild. It was funny because we saw that memo about the, the, the apron stuff. And then there was like an apron power bomb right, right off the bat. But, uh, yeah, I didn't have a ton of like deep thoughts on it. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Sorry. James Drake came out to check on Anthony Henry after he lost. And then Austin Theory's music hits and Austin Theory comes out with Priscilla Kelly. Uh, Theory gets the win with the Theory KO. He went ahead. I guess I didn't really sell that exactly right, but they went ahead and had a match with Austin Theory and James Drake. And Theory gets the win. Uh, there was a lot of Priscilla Kelly involvement in this match. Did you have a problem with that? No. I love it when she, like, just yells at people to distract them. Like, when that she was kind of cool. got in James Drake's face and just uh, screeched at him to stop him. I thought that was, like, pretty chill. It was cool that she did that running senton off the ape, like, Drake, Drake was going for, I guess, his moonsault, and she did a running senton off the apron onto Henry to distract her, or distract him, rather. And, uh, yeah, I thought she was cool. I think people were kind of down on it. But I feel like that act is kind of coming into its own. I think we were very confused about what her deal was. But it's like, oh, yeah, she, like, screams in people's faces, and she'll do, like, crazy dive shit to distract people. Um, so that's, that's cool as hell. Good for Priscilla Kelly. I was into it. I will say that the scream... Is way, is way better than most stuff because that really would distract you. Like, I buy oh, that. Oh, yeah, right. You're like, oh, there's like a woman screaming in my face. <laughs> it's not like somebody's music hits and you look at the Titan Tron. You yeah. know, it's like a totally legit distraction. So I like that. I guess I just want Theory to kind of kill people and uh, destroy them cleanly and just show why he's so awesome. But, you know, that's not the story that they're telling. So that's fine. Uh, also, I thought that Drake kind of got to show off a little bit here, what he can do as a singles wrestler, which I was really happy for him about that. And I thought he took advantage of the opportunity and was really good. He's a, he's a sympathetic baby face. Right, which is bizarre, yeah, right? Given aside, but like, you know, he did the, did the cannonball and he missed the cannonball and he sold. Yeah. yeah. He's good. He's good. Yeah. All right, they followed, well, no, quickly after the match. Um, 
Kincaid, Jason Kincaid came out and kind of was saying something to Austin Theory. You know, he had the video earlier in the week about that he was going to, uh, you know, try to bring Kincaid or Theory back to the to the good side, I guess. And uh, while they're talking, Priscilla Kelly comes by, pulls Austin Theory away, and all we see her tell Kincaid is, he's with me. Okay. What are you going to say about that? All right. The next match up was the Freelance Wrestling World Championship Fatal 4-Way. We had Stevie Fierce retaining the Freelance Wrestling World Championship uh, when he hit the unprettier on Bryce Benjamin. Uh, also in the match were GPA and Matt Nix. You're the unbiased, completely unbiased one here. What did you think of the match? Dude, I love Stevie Fierce from the moment he came out of the curtain. <laughs> to his, like, dubstep or whatever version of Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles. And he's looking at his mirror. And it's like a lot. I mean, this is a very common sort of, like, the narcissist gimmick is has a long tradition in professional wrestling. And some people do it better than others. And I think that Stevie Fierce does it better. He had, like, a certain kind of sma- swagger to him and also a bit of, like, a nonchalant sort of vibe. He reminds me, he reminded me a little bit of, like, early Spanky in some sense mm-hmm. in his sort of the way he carried himself, if that's fair. Sure. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought he looked great. I was super into the game. Yeah, I loved when he did... He was running against the ropes like he was going to do a dive, but then he slides and grabs a little mirror from his valet to look at himself. I just, yeah, I was super into it. Um, the match itself like wasn't awesome. There was a lot. There seems to be some miscommunications, and it felt like you know they tried some things that they weren't quite able to do. But I came away. I was like, oh yeah, this guy's this guy's cool. I get it. Yeah, the, the best part of the moment where he slides and grabs the mirror is that he's, like, looking at himself, and then I think it was Bryce Benjamin who came in the ring behind him, and he, like, sees him in the mirror. <laughs> he, like, sold it perfectly, which I love. Uh, I had a lot of things, same thoughts about the match itself. It was highly ambitious and not always executed that well. They just they had some issues. You know, like, Matt Nick slipped off the ropes, which, you know, not much you can do about that. Luckily, he was okay because it looked really scary there for a second. But they had some real issues with execution. Uh, I mean, I am biased, but all the great spots in the match were were things that Stevie Fierce did. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, <laughs> the no, but like the superplex off the well, obviously the superplex was off the top rope to the outside that ruled. Uh, the unprettier was a it was a little kind of a weird bump there that uh, wasn't perfect. But I thought Stevie looked like a star. Like I thought he projected himself well, he came across well, and I'm hoping that this will get him a little more of a look and uh, he'll get some chances elsewhere. So it was really cool for him, happy for him. The crowd was really into the freelance guys, which I was happy about. They were going off uh, for them, and I thought they added a lot to the match, so that was good. The next match was uh, Darby Allen. And uh, going up against DJZ, Allen did get the win with the Last Supper. This was this was wild. This was like two guys with with no uh, they had no care whatsoever for their own bodies or each other's bodies. They just threw themselves all over the place, and it was uh, an insane amount of fun. Oh yeah, yeah, this banged. I mean, the spot where like DJZ was hung up over the guardrail and just. Darby shot out like a bullet to do the tope on him was cool. 
the gigantic senton the dark darby's just a maniac i yeah. fucking love him and uh, as much as it's like oh it's cool that they're telling the story about him like learning to grapple and stuff it's also cool to just see him dive off of things and just like wild out so yeah this was a ton of fun um yeah the crowd was chanting this is awesome like everyone everyone loved it this ruled but you can also see Darby coming into his own as a performer. He's not just diving off of things for the sake of diving off of things. Right. There was a really cool uh, escalation through the match. And he just he looks like a more complete wrestler at this point. And so it's been a lot of fun to get to watch that progression with him. So and DJZ ruled. When his entrance on this match, like he looked like a star the first night. But on this one, I was like, this guy's a huge star. Right. Dude, the entrance rules so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, it's so good. <laughs> I don't know what it was about. I mean, the I like the Livonia venue a little better than the Chicago venue, the Summit venue, but something about it, it just all worked perfectly. And I was like, this rules. I'm so into this. And uh, yeah, I'm bummed that he, he probably won't be back. Yeah. They should just reach a deal with him where they like pay him like 50% of what they normally pay him. And he just does his intro. And <laughs> Well, maybe yeah, next he is time. a great wrestler, so I wouldn't yeah. even, you know, but for the intro, we need to keep the intro. Maybe he can at least show up in Chicago the next time yeah. in Chicago, since he's he's from there. The next match was uh, an evolved tag team championship match. The Troll Boys defending their titles against Chris, against Chris Dickinson and Jaka, and Sanity finally reigned. The Troll Boys are dethroned after only one night. Doom Patrol are again your evolved tag team champions. Everything is great again, AT. Hallelujah. Woo! We talked about it on the show that there was a last week that there was a possibility that the sons of Dirty Daddy would be riding high again at the end of the weekend, and Chris Dickinson and Jock would be tag team champions, and they went ahead and did the damn thing. Congrats <laughs> to the new champs. Yes. Um, never say the words to me, troll boys. It's over. I mean, I'm sure they're going to continue with the gimmick and whatever. But, uh, but no, yeah. No, it's over. But, yeah. It's over forever. Yeah. Our one-day national nightmare is finally over. Um, so, yeah. Thank, thank you, Base Gabe. Thank you, Base Gabe. And so, but this was, um, this was kind of the same thing where it was like a bunch of dopey bullshit to start, right? I think there was a moment where... Was this the match where Ethan Page was like, your titties hurt me? Or was that last? Was that the night before? I'm not sure which, but does that break the rule of, of uh, profanity? <laughs> now I'm looking at my notes, and that must have been the night before. But I, it was like they did like an old school, you know, oh where. Uh, that was so bad. Yeah. Where I forget who he was doing it to. I think it was Dickinson, but maybe it's Jack. No, it was, like, was Jacka. It was Jacka, and, and Die Jack was just like, going along with it and looking pretty stupid for doing so. Yes. Um, so that was stupid. But once this picked up, it picked up. It was decent. Um, I, I thought that, like, it seemed like Ethan Page and ACH kind of repeated some of their spots. And, it, and some of their spots that are more contrived, so it looks a little weird when you repeat them. Like, ACH getting both guys on his shoulders and then one guy slipping off and then using the guy who's on your shoulders to kick the other guy. And then, th- like, that. That sequence of like five or six things that happen in happenstance and then doing them back to back, you're like, okay, 
we did this last, you know. Well, he's getting ready for WWE. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, so, but it was all right. It picked up in the end. I, the finish just caught me so much by surprise because it, they were leading up to it with basically replicating step for step the finish from the night before. So I was like, oh, we're going into this. Now we're going into the same finishing sequence. They're retaining. I didn't think that uh, Jock and Dickinson were going to win the titles, you know, that there was going to be a one-day reign. And then all of a sudden they hit the death trap. And I was like, holy shit, they did it. It's over. I just love that they crotched ACH on the top rope. And it was like apparently complete death to ACH because he couldn't move for like, I don't know, a minute and a half. Uh, he just could not be involved. In, I mean, he's standing right behind, uh, you know, when he could have disrupted the finish. But nope, the crotching hurt too badly. Didn't want it badly enough. <laughs> no, clearly. Clearly didn't. So after the match, the workhorsemen come out. They're going to challenge Doom Patrol because they say Doom Patrol has never beaten the workhorsemen, which is factually true as far as I know. Stokely Hathaway says, wait a second. You don't talk to... Dickinson and Jocka, you talk to me. And, uh, you know, they're starting to get into each other a little bit. Stokely says, look, I'm not a physical man. Dickinson and Jocka are not physical men. But they do know someone else who is. And about that moment, Dominic Garini attacks the workhorseman, really does a deal on uh, Anthony Henry's arm. That's what was the big you know, selling point coming out of this was that Henry was badly injured by Dominic Garini. Garini, you may recall from – the last time they were in Livonia, Michigan, when he worked uh, the first match and won that match. So he's coming back. Apparently he's going to be part of catch point. He does. I've seen work other shows uh, with Stokely. So, you know, he's part of this crew. And now I guess he's going to be part of catch point going forward. Um, I think the interesting thing here is you don't have to rush into Doom Patrol versus Workhorseman. You can kind of work Dominic Garini into that a little bit, maybe a Garini versus Henry match, you know, something to kind of spread that out a little bit, because these are your top two tag teams at this point. So you can kind of put a little space between them if you want to. We'll see how that plays out. All right. Now we're getting to the the two top matches on Evolve 93. The first one was the Evolve Championship match. So we got some, you know, things were mixed around so much on these cards. So here we got Zack Sabre Jr. versus Keith Lee for the title, in a big surprise to AT, Zach retains, rolls up Keith Lee, makes him a wrong boy again. I mean, how do you feel about being so terribly wrong all the time? Does it's it not hurt? easy. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just want to get things right. And, uh, and it would be good if I could be a right boy every now and then. But, um, you know, it wasn't in the cards for me uh, this weekend. But I'm happy that Zach retained. We all know that we love Zach. We want to recruit him to the DSA. We're thrilled for his success. And, uh, yeah, he had – this was a great – this was an awesome match. And so in that sense, I'm happy. It was an awesome match. The guy, like, won. I can't complain. And this was a great, this was great. It was just like everything you'd want out of like a bigger guy against a smaller guy. Zach was just doing everything he could to try to like use his grappling to get a step on Keith Lee. He was trying to go through his legs. He was climbing up his back. Just any 
like point of entry he could find he was going for. And more often than not, Keith Lee was just Keith Lee looked like a fucking monster in this match, just shrugging off Zach, knocking him down with the clubbing forearm. He looked like a badass and, and it was great. It was a great match. It built awesome. They worked super smooth together. Um I loved late in the match where Zach had a penalty kick and Keith Lee kicked out at one and just tossed Zach up in the air. He must have been up. He must have gone up like three feet in the air or something like that. Maybe more. It was just, it was a great big versus little man, man, man match. And that the crowd was just super, the crowd was with them the whole way. Um, and the finish was a surprise, but like well-timed uh, with Zach countering that ground zero into the, the roll up for the win. So yeah, I, I love this. I thought this was awesome. This is almost like a perfect matchup for me because I really think my favorite style of match is the big man, little match, especially particularly when the little man is uh, a a grappling type. So like the way he can try to get over on the big man is to try to get him in submission holds. I just love that story. And these guys told it perfectly. Like Zag did not care to bump all over the ring, make himself look like Keith Lee was absolutely killing him, which really added to the match, of course. But Zach is great at that. I mean, the pounce in this match was probably the best pounce. Like, I always think that ends up looking kind of off in Keith Lee's matches. Like, people have a really hard time selling that for him, I think. This was perfect. Maybe just looked like he destroyed uh, Zach by running into him. I did think that they lost a little bit of focus down the stretch or that the, the story of the match lost a little focus down the stretch. And I was thinking as I was watching it that, like, it's it's tough to figure out who to root for in the match. Like, if you're not me and AT, and you obviously are always rooting for Zack Sabre Jr. But otherwise, I think it's hard to figure out who to root for in this match. There's no real reason for you to want uh, one or the other of these guys to win. And, and I was thinking about – I thought a lot during this match – about – you know, you watch New Japan, and they don't have a lot of the true heel-face dynamics, but they do these long-term stories that get you rooting for one thing or another to happen. So it's like, I can root for Okada to finally beat Tanahashi, even though I don't really want Tanahashi to lose, but I've been with Okada on this journey, and now I want to see this uh, finally come to fruition. And I know that we have the Keith Lee Killer Instinct story, and that's kind of been a thing that's gone on, but they kind of pick it up and drop it off, and I'm just kind of over it by now. So that wasn't really uh, – it didn't really get me that excited in this particular match. So I think that's why it kind of fell off a little for me toward the end. But I still love this. Uh, I went four and a quarter on it, so I thought it was, you know, really, really good. Yeah, I thought he still had the killer instinct, you know, in this. But did you like, think there was they were still trying to show some of that, like – uh, he does the bask, and then yeah, but, but I feel like he's still like is a killer. Like I think that it was now it feels more like an arrogant sort of like monster basking, and less of like a jovial like um bathing in the adoration of my fans. Now that I think is interesting, and I think we'll talk about that a little more at the the end of this card and what mm-hmm. happened after the show was over. But like Sarah, my wife was watching these shows with me, or she was at least watching on Friday night. And she said she hadn't seen Keith Lee yet with the the longer hair and the beard. And she mentioned that she really didn't like that look that she thought he didn't look like she wasn't using this in the wrestling term, but he looked like so much less of a baby face, you know? And 
I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but I guess I guess that makes sense, right? Like they're kind of pushing him toward more, more toward what you're saying of this more arrogance and that uh, he's going to be the bad guy in this story with with someone else that we'll get to. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it yet. All right. So I was really annoyed when I realized there was another match on this card because I loved that match so much. I was like, that was a great ending to this card. Uh, This was a tough show for me because you may or may not know that I'm a big Kentucky football fan and my beloved Wildcats lost for the 31st time in a row to Florida last night in an absolute heartbreaker. Well, you were prepared for it at least by the uh, the 31 other times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I've the last time they won was November of 1986, so I was like a few months old, so I didn't I presumably didn't see that game, so I've never seen them beat Florida. Everybody's talking about how we we're going to win all week. Aaron, you think this is finally the year Kentucky's going to win? No, no, I don't. But uh, when they get up, you know, 13 points, you start getting excited, and then they they crush you. So I was ready for it to be over, but then I realized we still had the WWN Championship match, Anything Goes, Matt Riddle versus Tracy Williams. And I got to say, this uh, kicked me right out of any any frustration I had about having to watch another match because it absolutely ruled. This was, uh, to me, the best match of the weekend. And I won't say it's not particularly close because the Sabre and Lee match was also really good, but this was above that match for sure. We had Tracy continuing to be super brutal, which I love. I think he's he's really growing into that character to where I buy everything he does, and it, it all looks really good. Riddle, I thought this was better than he has been recently, and I saw uh, Taylor Mainborg, I think is his name. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, who reviewed this show for Voices of Wrestling, and he mentioned that maybe the, the step – kind of let Riddle breathe a little and kind of broke up some of the stuff that he normally does. And that that probably helped. I thought that was a great insight into this match. I think that's true. Toward the end of the match, I thought it started to get a little excessive. Like, you know, when Riddle does like, uh, I forget what the move was now, but he did like four times in a row and and pinned him each time and didn't uh, get the victory. And I was like, okay, we've got to, the Fisherman Buster. Yeah, 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 the Fisherman Buster. I was like, okay, we've got to finish this up at some point and uh, figure out a, a really – well, because at some point it becomes hard to do something bigger than that that you buy as the finish, right? right. So I was like, okay, at some point we've got to either stop this or escalate it to somewhere crazy uh, to make a good finish. So anyway, they finished it. I thought it was great. Uh, I'm sorry for mentioning star ratings on this podcast, Aaron. I went four and a half. So I like, I think this is a great match. I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, they went full throttle from start to finish and beat the fuck out of each other. And you felt the hatred and, and it was great. It was, I mean, that riddle between this match and you go back to the match he had with Chuck Taylor over Royal Rumble weekend. And, and he, he's building a resume in these kind of these plunder brawl matches that are just, okay, uh, he's, the king of no DQs. I mean, this was great. This was awesome. Both guys look great. Um, I thought that, I mean, they just did some nasty stuff. Like the pile, the, the, I guess it was the pile driver on the apron and Riddle did a senton onto Williams on the ladder. That was, you know, between the guardrail and the apron. Um, and I thought Lenny Leonard did a great job sort of 
reminding us of the story of this feud <laughs> and talking about, you know, how these two guys were in this group together and they hated each other and they had to suppress the hatred all this time. And now they're, you know, beating the fuck out of each other. You know, Stolenny was great and he had had strep throat earlier in the week. So, um, you know, shout out to Lenny for doing that. That was a hell of a hell of a weekend for him. Um, yeah, this match was just terrific. My only regret is that they didn't do it when the feud was hotter in in July. Uh, but I loved, I loved, uh, you know, if they could have done it, you know, then. But I loved, yeah, I loved the finish too. I thought it made like Tracy look like he just hates this motherfucker so much that he won't give in, and then finally, you know, he has no choice. So it made Tracy look good, and we had the catch point running during the match, so further establishing that this group is, these are rule breakers. Um, so, yeah, I, I love this. This was awesome. I think I liked it a little bit better than the match before it as well. And at this point, you're just kind of like, you have to, like, stand and, and give, a, you know, a round of applause for uh, the wrestlers on these shows. Because, like, for me... I was thinking about this company so much and all the backstage drama and all like, I'm not a wrestler, but even I was like, this was just taking over my life and like consuming me. I can't imagine what it would have been like to actually be a part of this company and have to wonder, you know, what's going on with one of the main promotions that I work for. And they came out and they just hit it out of the park. I mean, these were two great shows and, uh, you know, a huge credit uh, to, to their mental toughness, I think. Oh yeah. You're like, are, are my checks going to keep coming? That's a, that's a huge deal. And these guys clearly put that completely out of mind. Everybody did and put on outstanding shows. I mean, if that we, we talk a lot about the lack of buzz for evolve shows like this are going to kick the buzz up. There's just no way to avoid it. Yeah, if you get involved in a huge scandal and then you have uh, two really great shows and people are going to talk about you. That's right. They should, guys- do a, they should do a lawsuit <laughs> heading into every one of these weekends. I always say how bad lawsuit angles are in wrestling, but no, this one rules. This is the good one. Best lawsuit angle of all time. Uh, the only other thing I want to say about the match is we talked about on our first episode – that even though the feud had kind of gone cold, that they could heat it up when they got in the ring together, show that uh, the hate between them, build up that tension. If they had a good crowd to help them, that it could really get there. And that's exactly what they did. Like, I felt the hatred between these two guys. And I thought this crowd was was way better than the last time they were in Chicago. Now, someone who was there tweeted us to say, uh, it's actually smaller than it was last time. and not appreciably louder, which really shocked me, to be honest. Yeah, it sounded better on on, uh, on camera or at home. But, uh, yeah, that was the report we got from Epitasis over on Twitter. Happy happy birthday to the Epster. Oh, yeah. Uh, so shout out to him. Yeah, you and Big Steph is what I heard. Yeah, it's also Stephanie McMahon's birthday. So just want to thank her for inventing women's wrestling me too. Uh, for us. And uh, wish her a happy birthday as well. Yeah. Hashtag thank you, Steph. Uh, okay, so after the match, like, you know, I guess we kind of wondered, would there be any more? And Riddle says he wants the rest of the locker room to come out to the ring. He's got something to say. I thought it was interesting that everybody except Catchpoint 
came out to the ring. I mean, I didn't count everyone, but nobody from Catchpoint was there. That's for sure. He makes a little speech. He acknowledges the WWN and Flow Slam controversy without mentioning Flow Slam. And just, you know, a little babyface speech about how much they love the fans, uh, how thankful they are for the fans, that they'll always be at home at WWNlive.com, which I was really impressed he got that right. <laughs> and, uh, I thought this was good. I think Riddle's gotten a lot better on the mic. It's not just all uh, bro uh, the way that it once was. And I thought he came across as really genuine here. I mean, he I think he does genuinely love wrestling fans. I think that comes across from him. And so he was a good, obviously he's the face of the promotion, but he was also a good choice to give this speech, to close out the weekend. Uh, I like this a lot. Yeah, it was, it was sweet. Um, absolutely. Then Keith Lee grabs the mic and, uh, you know, perhaps rightfully so, says uh, Riddle's trying to make himself look like he's the leader of this locker room, but that he's not a leader because if he were a leader, he would have made peace with Keith Lee after all they had was a little miscommunication in the ring. And Riddle, I think, again, overreacts to this. Riddle throws the first strike and all of these th- – all of the, he pushes him first and then Lee pushes him back and then he slaps Lee and that's when it gets in the pull-apart brawl and it's on. But again, Matt Riddle, the bad guy of Evolve – as our long-term listeners know, once again, uh, you know, two minutes for instigating, you know? He's always he's always starting shit. He is. And he's just like being a dick. And I was really surprised that the crowd booed Keith Lee, like lustily. I yeah. Think, I mean, apparently that's the story. But I was surprised that the crowd went along with it because Riddle is so obviously a dick and Keith Lee so lovable. Yeah. Team, team Keith Lee on, on this podcast in this feud sure. going forward. I mean, I've been saying Tracy Williams was the baby face in, in that story. Yeah, so. I feel like I feel like at this point we we sort of were out there on it, and so we just have to cheer whoever wrestles Matt Riddle. Well, I got to say, this was the first time, like during this Matt Riddle Tracy Williams match, when it occurred to me that I was literally rooting against Matt Riddle that I wanted him to lose. So I think it's really filtered into me that I just think he's a bad guy and I want him to lose. Yeah. So anyway, at some point, Keith Lee did challenge Matt Riddle. He said he thought they should have a match for the WWN Championship and that it has to be a last man standing match. It's the only way to settle it. Only way. Uh, I think it's interesting that Keith lost a title match earlier in the night, but now he thinks it's appropriate to challenge for a different title. Yeah, well, I mean, if you can go for it, go for it. I guess so, yeah. Right? If it were me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I just lost this. I will get the other title. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, And that's how we ended a great weekend of Evolve Wrestling. Uh, It got me, I got to say, for them to talk about how they weren't going to pull any angles or storylines, you're fired up for Matt Riddle versus Keith Lee, aren't you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what I mean when I'm like, oh yeah, something happened with the me- between when the memo and the shows because obviously, yeah, there were several. They introduced this Jarek One Twenty guy, Dom Garini joined Catchpoint and cl- evidently became like a regular member of this Evolve roster, and they had this huge pull apart brawl to end it. So yeah, I mean, I think it would be silly to sort of assume that like everything that they didn't make any changes after the memo was sent. 
Right. But this is also the first time in a while that it's like there are specific matches that I'm seriously looking forward to uh, in the future. Like I really want to see Matt Riddle, Keith Lee. I really want to see uh, Doom Patrol and the Workhorsemen again. So there's a, a lot of stuff that's building. I think if they can, if they can let that breathe and stretch it out a little and build to those matches just a little bit more, then uh, they could have have some real buzz. Yeah, yeah, they're onto something. And so yeah. we'll we'll see how it plays out. Um, I guess they're back October Saturday, October 14th in Queens, New York, and then Sunday, October 15th in East Haven, Connecticut. And that's the first time they've run Connecticut, I think, since we've been doing this, at least. Um, I'm not sure if they've run there before. I don't remember them running there before, but I'm sure we'll figure that out before we come back to preview those shows for all the real Evolve heads. Yeah, it's another short turnaround because we had like a long turnaround last time. And this time it's like, I guess, like three weeks. Yeah. Cool. Works for us, especially because we'll see what else happens in this. Yeah, um, I'm sure. (laughs) Right. And what's going on with Flow Slams? I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about in a couple of weeks when we come back. Yeah, we did it. Oh, this is man. like a marathon episode. Like, I don't know how the flagship boys do it every week. Me either. Because we we've been talking for a long time. And you guys have been listening for a long time. And uh, we appreciate that. Thank you for making it to the end of this podcast. Mazel tov. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for rocking with us. And, uh, yeah, it's a long time to talk. I'm socially exhausted right now. <laughs> I'm not talking to anybody else the rest of the day. Yeah. My girlfriend's going to come on like, babe, I gave all of my emotional energy and attention to Aaron and our wonderful listeners. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's very nice of you. Okay. I guess I'll just remind everyone that we are a proud member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. You can find all the great podcasts at voicesofwrestling.com or on the podcast app of your choice. You can subscribe to Everything Evolves Independently from the network on iTunes. Please do that. Give us the rate, rating and review as well if you can. We would appreciate that. You can follow us on Twitter, at EvolvePod. Uh, you can also follow the Wrong Boys uh, separately from our uh, Twitter, from our our podcast Twitter. I'm at Aaron Like the Car, and AT's at APTaub. I'm Aaron for Aaron. We're the Wrong Boys. See you next time. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You should be saving for the future, but savings accounts suck, and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4 to 6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today.